0: Today's guest is Michael Tamura, and he has had five near-death experiences. Michael regularly makes media appearances on radio, television, internet, and film. He has been featured on CNN, NBC's The Lisa Show, the new Ricky Lake Show, Bridging Heaven and Earth, Gaia TV, and more. And today, I got him to be on the podcast. So Michael, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate You're welcome. you. It's here. great to be here. Well, that's great. All right, so I like to just jump right into it. So can you tell us Mm -hmm. about your five NDEs and what happened?
1: (laughs) Yes, a lot happened. Uh, Of the five, the first one um, was, of course, well, let me backtrack a little bit. Prior to, for for many people I I know personally, as well as I've read about and seen on, on videos and whatnot, those who have had various types of NDEs for near-death experiences. And for so many, uh, when they die physically and then come back, it's it's a little bit like a wake-up call. It's, it's like, whoa, they weren't on the spiritual path prior to it or were aware of what goes on on the other side. For me, it's it's been very, very different because I grew up that way uh, from before I was born i I have memory and awareness of where I was and what i'm doing and and as well as when I came in, I think around fourth grade when I was in about fourth grade, and we start to study about past uh, not about past lives, <laughs> but ancient history <laughs> you know, ancient egypt and Greece and all all the places I had past lives in, and so that's when I became aware of. Oh yeah, I know all this stuff. It's it's I've been there firsthand, and but I didn't quite put it together uh, at that point because there's no one to talk to about it, and uh, of course usually school teachers don't help you out. <laughs> I almost flunked <laughs> in fourth grade because I put out too much stuff on a, uh, about ancient Egypt that. I didn't go and research it in the library. So I got into trouble. He gave me a D minus for the project because I missed the whole point of the project was to go to the library and copy a paragraph from from encyclopedia about ancient Egypt. But I got so excited, mention of ancient Egypt, and I went straight home just start pouring it out and made this huge project with models and of the Nile river and the pyramids and the Sphinx and temples all along it, fake papyrus. Uh, uh, I made fake papyrus paper and wrote a whole uh, report about ancient Egypt straight from memory <laughs> mm. <laughs> that didn't go over very well, mm. but um uh, so I've had these experiences all my life. And, and so when the first time I died physically, uh, in retrospect, I'm very glad I came back <laughs> because <laughs> it would have been a lousy thing to have on your tombstone or whatever. Oh, poor Michael died from uh, complications from severe gout. You know mm, what gout is? Yeah. Oh, it's it's wow. terrible. It's it's excruciating and painful but most people get it like in a toe joint or ankle or something maybe right. a knee i got it at that time it was i i started getting it um when i was well on my 40th birthday <laughs> but by the time this particular episode happened it was so bad i had it in every possible joint in my entire body including the, like the little suture on the top of the skull area everything was just excruciating painful it just went on and on and nothing I did helped and um uh so I'm lying in bed and and I'm going I'm just had nowhere to go in that situation and so I just said out loud, I said, God, I, I really don't know how much more of this I can I can handle. And instantly, right as the last word of that sentence came out of my mouth, boom, I was out. And I got escorted right out of my body uh, by this great, magnificent being and taken straight to this, uh, what at the time as I'm introduced into the room, it felt like a super, super elegant uh, conference, like one of those boardrooms with a beautiful, long wooden table where everybody sits around and discusses stuff. Well, there's five beings, including the the escort being, um, there's five of them sitting there and they all welcome me to join them. And they just, it was like this. Homecoming celebration by them of we're happy to you know we've been waiting for you type of a thing and and welcome back and and they gave me a a great uh, not only a welcome but a va- validation congratulation then they said you've done way beyond uh, what you've contracted for and you're all done you've been done. And so, if you want to stick around here and continue your life in spirit with us and helping other people from here, it's no problem. It's great. We're ready for you. And then they said, but if you would rather go back to the body and to the f- world and work, continue your work there, well, you know, that's perfectly fine too. And so the the decision was kind of on the table, and I'm looking at that. And it's an interesting experience when the minute, and this is regular, consistent, every time I get out of the body in any situation, not just near-death experiences, but just any out-of-body experience. The first thing that goes is any sense of time, because time is only here in this world. There is no time in spirit, so time is gone. But the second thing is that um, I'm going, oh, yeah, there's definitely, at least in my experience, there's definitely no idea, no thought, no feeling, no anything about death or dying or even my body. (laughs) It was like, what body, right? It's not even entering in my mind to think about those kinds of things. Because they don't exist in spirit. It's just spirit. And so when I was posed with that question of, okay, would I rather stay in spirit and continue and, or go back? I'm really thinking about, okay, what's that mean, going back? And then I realized, oh, yeah, there's something there. But I had no feelings one way or the other. It was just a total neutral neutral space of doesn't matter to me. And there was absolutely no desire one way or another. It's complete peace, complete. Everything's great. So then I got this great idea of here I am standing before, sitting before these five magnificent, amazing, enlightened beings. And um, so I thought, oh, good, here's, uh, I always like to ask questions, <laughs> especially from people who could who can answer them. And so I said, "Well, in your great wisdom, which do you think uh, would would be more beneficial, not only to myself but to anyone involved in my life, right? Anyone I have anything to do with? What would be the the most beneficial uh, choice?" To stay here and continue my work in spirit with all of you, or to go back to the body, and and that's when I'm going, oh yeah, body down there somewhere, <laughs> and continue my work, you know, in the world. And they didn't miss a beat. It's unanimously, instantly, they all said, if you go back, you'll do so you'll give yeah, you'll have so much more benefit to so many more people that 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 would be the best choice. And I said great. In that case, send me back. Mm-hmm. And so they said okay. The <laughs> but the funny thing is until then my awareness is filled with spirit with them with what is. But the minute I start my return back to my physical body and, and earth and everything life here. It's like turning around and putting my attention on the opposite side of the universe. And as soon as I did that and my uh, being the being that was escorting me back um, start to take me out of that room and everything is when I, Kind of dawned on me. Oh yeah, something about pain, (laughs) something about excruciating pain, and I wasn't able to. You know, I didn't know how long I can handle it, and so and that's just a memory. It's 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 just the idea rather than I'm feeling it, and so I'm kind of going, okay, uh, I gotta. This is the time to take care of that. So I I turned back to them and I said, oh, I do need one thing help from you guys. I'm not going to be of any good to anybody, or even to myself, if I don't get some help in healing the body condition that that I just left. And uh, all I hear is is uh, uh, fine. (laughs) They're they're very uh, uh, efficient (laughs) in their communication, and there's no extra stuff. It's just fine. Okay, when I come back. It's it's like a shock, uh, you know, coming back, and my heart's thumping, and and everything is just going, and I, it takes me a little bit to get reoriented. But as soon as that happens, I hear a voice in my in my um, ear. Uh, go to the computer and look up uric acid, and and I'm kind of arguing with that voice, saying I I, I should have an honorary PhD in gout because. I know more than anybody else at that point because there's not much there. Mm -hmm. And uh, now, today, there's a lot more information. But uh, at that time, there wasn't much. And uh, so I I said, okay, but I will do as I'm told. I'll go and look up the thing. And and I find this uh, advertisement on the sidebar instead of the main listing of what the search engine brought up and I that's where I start to find some of the answers on a more uh healing level what could what I can do and what is needed so that got me started on on the healing of this scalp condition and it did take quite a quite a long time before I really got a good handle on it but at that time I got myself out of that excruciating pain and agony and everything and things started to look up so that's that was the first time and the interesting thing is when I came back I was told by my guides that I'm I've got a fresh clean slate I mean they cleared the deck nothing I didn't owe anybody anything Mm. and uh, they said you can just start fresh, whatever you like, and however you like it. And um, you don't have to abide by any past commitments or anything like that. And I, I looked at that. And I I had a pretty good stack of uh, appointments and commitments I made to people about doing certain things, you know, in the future type of a thing. So I, thought, I looked at that. And I said, No, you know, if it's no difference to you guys. I'd like to honor these commitments. And once I finish what I already have set up, then I'll be ready to get on with all the new stuff. And they said, that's fine. It's all your choice. And so yeah, I said, I, I I'd feel better about that. So I did. It took me two exactly almost to the day, two years to fulfill all my past commitments and things that were already in motion before I died and then uh uh the i think it was like the day after or two days after when i realized i'm all done with the past i'm completely done with all my commitments now i can totally devote my life to the new stuff That's when I have my second near-death experience. All right,
0: before we get into that one, let me ask you a quick question. Sure. Are your guides the same beings that were there with you in the spiritual boardroom?
1: Yes and no. There's... uh, Where I am in my spiritual... place on my path, if you will... I have quite a few. There's, there's a main guide, but also uh, it's a little bit like um, running a business when you have uh, a financial consultant and you have uh, your tax person, you have your uh, PR people and you have, you know, all the different uh, heads of departments and managers and whatnot that you work with. So in my Guidance, the, those who guide me in spirit are a team like that. And so then some of them I communicate almost on a daily level with. Others I only see once in a long while. Um, <laughs> others <laughs> others I, I get to be with uh, when I'm dead <laughs> because it requires uh, pretty much completely being just spirit. You know, right. without a body to to uh, weigh you down, in a sense, and and uh, so this is why uh, they told me too that that the times I've died uh, were not necessary. It's, it wasn't like a karmic debt that I had to die in order to clear, uh, but because I died. <laughs> They made use of it, <laughs> the, the most use they can get out of it, and and that even happened uh, in the last surgery I had. It was a it was a uh, it was a funny surgery because I didn't need it for my own health or anything. It turned out I needed to have this little wire replaced in in that goes from this. Um, uh, Gadget—it's called the ICD. It's a defibrillator, like those paddles you see on uh, ER movies, you know, and zap your heart back on into action. Well, after the third death experience, uh, my cardiologist said, "You know, <laughs> I think we we should put this in you because if if you go again, chances are you're not going to come back." And I think he was right because the fourth and the fifth times I I died. It's not the same experience as the same type of complete death experience as the first three times, because the thing recognizes the heart stops or gets wonky. And if it goes, if it doesn't get back in rhythm right away, then it zaps it, Uh, just like with the paddles to kickstart it. And if it doesn't kickstart right away, it waits a little few seconds and then checks the computer checks it and then if it's still not right then it zaps it again and i think both times that i died the the fourth and fifth times uh it zapped me right before well the the fourth time um i was i was Uh, Jogging in Zurich, (laughs) Switzerland, (laughs) early in the morning. uh, I had been teaching and things all weekend, and that was my kind of a day off. And so I went for a beautiful day jog around the lake uh, early in the morning. And uh, I already had, it was about, I'd say six months or a year after I had the, no, no, it was a couple of years after I got this thing implanted in my chest. And um, it's never gone off or anything. I didn't know anything about it other than what the doctor told me. And so I'm jogging. I'm in really good fitness and everything. And I'm just jogging for uh, probably an hour, hour and a half. And I'm jogging in the beautiful garden next to the next to the uh, big lake, Lake Zurich. And next thing, I'm going to the light. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's this one. I, I just stopped because I, I something felt funny. And then I start to feel a little bit faint. And so I just stopped to catch my breath and everything. And then everything starts to get brighter and brighter and brighter. And now I'm getting out of my body. I crumpled the body crumples to the, to the grass. And again, it's, it's a little bit like a uh, comedy act because here I am on my knees in the grass, and I'm just going, whoa, what is going on? And I'm starting to go out. I'm halfway out. I'm starting to go into this bright portal of light. And uh, this nice uh, Swiss woman, a new young mother with a baby in the stroller comes by, and she can't speak English. And she speaks to me in in German. Uh, So I, I just know a couple words and and so she's asking me, "Are you okay?" and and you know, uh, can I help do something? And I'm looking at the whole situation, and I'm going, "Oh no, this is too complicated to explain anything." And I'm barely hanging in there. So so I, I smiled <laughs> and said, "No, it's fine. Everything's good." And she goes, "Oh, okay." And then she she strolls along, and I thought, okay. Now I just have to deal with myself. And uh, I start going, and it gets brighter and brighter. And then next thing, somewhere in that midst of that, it felt like uh, somebody came along, a big guy came along with a two-by-four or a couple of two-by-fours and just swacked me across the back of my upper back as hard as he could. At the same time, somebody took my uh, hands and stuck my fingers into an electrical shot socket. Mm -hmm. That's what it felt like. It was, it was not fun. (laughs) It was, (laughs) I wouldn't recommend it. (laughs) And so I, I just don't know what hit me, but it, it was like a bungee cord. It pulled me back from the light and just back to the body. And, and I'm barely hanging in there. And then, Something happens again, and then, bam, the same thing. I get uh, whacked across the back and and, an electrical shock. And uh, after that, so it took two times to get the heart going right. And once that happened, I thought, oh, boy. My first thought was, Raphael's not going to like this. Raphael's my wife, of course. And and, uh, so I get on the phone and I call her. She's she's at the apartment where we rented on the third floor. And uh, she knows immediately something is not right. And I said, yeah, well, I think I'm going to need you to, uh, we don't have a -a rent-a-car or anything. Uh, I, I need you to call for a taxi. This is before Uber or before we knew about Uber and things like that, I need you to call a taxi and, and I'm going to give the taxi driver directions on how to find me in the middle of this park. And she goes, what happened? And I tell her a little bit and she goes, Oh no. And okay. And she, she uh, sees the manager of the place behind her. So she turns around and she starts asking her, you know, I, my husband's in trouble. I need to, get a cab. Could you get a cab for me? And I said, no, she won't know what cab means. You have to say taxi. (laughs) So the other way I could hear these conversations going, it was, it was quite funny. And so finally we get it together. She gets the cab and comes, comes uh, towards me. And I, fortunately this happened in the city of Zurich, which I absolutely adore. I said, I love, it's one of my favorite cities in the world. And uh, I know it very well, like almost like the back of my hands. And so, so I'm giving the taxi driver uh, uh, directions on exactly how to find me in this big park. And so he drives on the uh, sidewalk because <laughs> there's no roads in, inside the park, drives on the sidewalk and finds me there. And they, they get out and pick me up and put him in, put me in the cabin. And we go back to our apartment. Raphael, I asked her to give me a healing. I says, "I think I'm going to need a little bit of a healing here. And, uh, well, we were packing that day because we have a flight to catch in the morning, first thing the next morning. <laughs> and so we're looking at, you know, shall we go to the hospital? And I said, no, oh, that's just going to be too complicated because once you take me to the hospital, they're going to keep me there <laughs> at least for a few days. So then we'll miss the flight, and then we'll have to do all this stuff. I said, no, as long as I get some help, and maybe you're going to have to get me a wheelchair assistance at the airport to wheel me around, since I don't know how much I can walk at this point. So we we did get through it. It It was hilarious. And, of course, on the way back from the airport in San Francisco to when we were living in Mount Shasta, my cardiologist is kind of right in the middle of that route. So I thought, yeah, let's drop in and see if he can, you know, talk to me a little bit and we can let him know what happened. And so I call and the secretary says, oh, I'm sorry, Tamura, um, uh, doctor, this is his day off. So he, he won't be even checking in. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I said, okay, and I, and but she says, but the technician who who checks the uh, ICD uh, and can download the information of exactly what happened to my heart is here, and we'll have him stay until you. If you want to swing by, we, we can at least get that information and get it to your doctor. And I says, great, that sounds good. So we swing by, and when we when we swing by to the office and open the door in the waiting room, there's nobody else. My doctor, cardiologist is sitting there in the waiting room. <laughs> and I said, I thought this was your day off. He says, "Yeah, but my office called and said it was you, so I had to come back." <laughs> and he's just going, "I I it's I'm very confused. They said something like your heart stopped and the ICD went off in in Switzerland." And I said, Oh yeah, yeah. We just landed in San Francisco a couple of hours ago, and and thought we'd stop by because the they can get the ICD reading on the way back, and and he just shaking his head. He says, "I, I just," he says, "I talk about you all the time with my colleagues." <laughs> he, he's, uh, I don't know. Uh, he says, uh, "I don't feel like I, I'm a doctor to you because because there's nothing I can do." <laughs> <laughs> he just seemed to take care. He goes, how long were you in the hospital in Switzerland? And I looked at Raphael, and she looked at me. We didn't go to the hospital. And she, he's going, oh, my God. He says, you had this, <laughs> and you had a near-death experience. <laughs> you didn't even go to the hospital. And then you take a you know 12-hour flight back to the United States, and then you drive for four hours to get here. I said, that's about it we do this all the time. And he, he said, okay, you know, you're, you're a very strange patient. <laughs> so that's, that's been my life all my life. Uh, it didn't matter what kind of situation I'm in with doctors or teachers or whatever. It's always, yeah, we don't know about you. <laughs> you don't, you don't kind of fit into this uh, mold, but that was a, uh, That was a really interesting experience for me because I got to experience the whole part of, oh yeah, this is, you know, you're out of the whole thing. As soon as you start getting out of the body, like I mentioned earlier, there's no time, but also there's no pain. There's absolutely, there's no pain. And this is one of the things that I think a lot of people, especially those who are grieving over the death of loved ones, Mm -hmm. One of the first questions they have is, did they suffer? You know, were they in pain when they died? No matter how horrible the death process, it could be a horrendous accident uh, or bombs exploding or whatever. The the person who's dying doesn't experience pain because they're already gone. They're already out, mostly. When the body actually stops breathing and the heart stops uh, functioning, the brain activity stops, the soul is nowhere near. (laughs) Nowhere near any of that stuff. (laughs) They're long gone. And so we don't experience it the same way people are afraid. That's what's going on with their their loved ones, that they're going through excruciating pain. Now, that excruciating pain stuff, if it happens, is because – you know, you're you're not doing well on a physical level and and you're still here. <laughs> Once you're out, it's it's that's not a problem. Mm-hmm. And that's why I always say dying is a piece of cake. It's it's no problem. <laughs> it's the coming back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the hard part. <laughs> and so you have a, a great appreciation for what every single human being is going through here and and um i even found a uh a thing where buddha talked about that and he said it's it's really one of the most difficult things to be a human being here hmm. and i agree it, it's it's tough it's only the only the tough Come here mm-hmm. <laughs> it's what was it when the going gets tough, the the tough go shopping or something like that? Mm-hmm. I think it's when the going goes tough, the tough go to earth mm-hmm. <laughs> and incarnate <laughs> but i with with all these near death experiences, I've thought about, oh yeah, what's the difference between what we call a near death experience where where the body sh- shuts down, stops. And the soul leaves the body, but then comes back again into the same body after a little while. And reincarnation, where the body shuts down and dies, and the soul leaves the body but and comes back, but comes back into a new body, a baby body. Mm-hmm. So there's, and there's another uh, example. It's not as common, but it does happen uh not periodically where one soul leaves a body that's still got time left on it. It's still healthy. It still can keep on ticking, but the soul is done for one reason or another, or they get to a place of, I just can't handle it. Like, like I did. And it's just like, I can't handle this anymore. And they leave and they're not. They they don't want to come back until their next incarnation, but the body's perfectly good. <laughs> then there's like a uh, it goes on the auction block, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of willing and able uh, souls that are. Oh, I can just take over that body in midstream. Then you don't have to go through the the challenges and the hardships of. Being born, being a baby, growing up, having to be taken care of by somebody else, all that kind of stuff. You just bypass all that. You have a car already waiting with the gas in it and everything. (laughs) You just have to drive it off. Of course, with that kind of a situation comes uh, a whole different set of challenges. Because unless that person who gave up the body and you're taking over that body was a hermit that nobody knows, there's a lot of explaining you have to do. <laughs> if you pop back into a body that's, you know, the person was married to somebody, has children and the whole bit. And one day you you wake up in the morning and, and this person says, I'm your wife. And this, these people say, I'm your kids. And, and you have no idea who they are. And they look at you like you look like my dad or you look like my husband, but you know, uh, you're not acting like one. Mm-hmm. And so so that's happened a few times. In history, uh, more recent history, one I, I know that was, uh, those souls are called walk-ins. Mm-hmm. And uh, of a famous person uh, was, uh, you know, remember Anwar Sadat, the president of Egypt uh, in the 19... 19- When was it? I can't remember exactly. 70s, 80s. 80s? Yeah, somewhere in there. And um, he was responsible for making tremendous changes in Egypt and especially uh, changes that that benefited at that time, uh, the women. Uh, It was very oppressive until then. And he opened it up quite a bit as far as a more Muslim country was at the time. And... um, uh, and he did a lot of lot of good things, but the the person he was uh, in his youth was definitely not the person who was the president of Egypt. The switch happened during his incarceration as a resistance uh, uh, fighter during the war, and he got captured and tortured and all kinds of stuff and then while he was in that prison is when they switched. The original uh, soul that was incarnated in that body chose to leave, and the one that was destined to be the president of that country came in to take over. So that that type of thing does happen periodically.
0: When somebody walks in like that, Mm -hmm. even though they chose that, when they finally get there and they're on Earth, do they forget that they chose that? And like, are totally confused. Um, I have a feeling
1: that they may be confused. It's it's that's always a little risk in the translation. A lot of get lots can get lost in the translation between spirit and being in the body. But when it's the more prepared, when it's set up that way, and a soul is prepared really well to come in, take over, and like they're on a mission, so to speak, like he was. I have a feeling that they're much more aware. They might feel funny that, okay, it, you always feel I'm me, right? It's no matter what body you're in, you're all uh, this is me, this is me. But the difficult part might be, in, again, in relationship to other people who know you as somebody else. But- you're in that somebody else's body now and you're having to navigate through that, those relationships, that could be confusing. That could be difficult. Uh, If this kind of a walk-in situation happens with a soul, that's not to, let's say, be a a world leader or somebody, a high profile person that's going to here to do a specific mission, but a regular soul that's, oh yeah, this is a good chance for me to continue my spiritual growth mm-hmm. on earth. Yeah, that's that's going to be part of their lesson and challenges is to go, okay, I have to remember who I really am. <laughs> and everybody's telling me I'm not, but, but I have to have my certainty that no, no, they're thinking about this other being that left the body already and I'm here. And I have to somehow be able to, communicate to them, this change has happened. And depending on the people around you, that could be near impossible at times. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that, that's part of the, uh, I think that's part of what's factored into the soul's learning process. And then there's the example of when um, a soul Incarnates in a body, and it doesn't work out, and uh, they're going okay. I, I just need to need to get out, and um, there's no takers, so to speak. <laughs> it's it's not arranged that that they can just leave and not come back. So that's that brings about a whole different set of challenges, but the difference between near-death experience where the soul comes back pretty much right away into the same body and the soul waiting after they die out of one body until a new body is ready and the right kind and the right circumstances and everything for you to take over. There is a difference there because you don't the chances of having as clear of a recall where you just came from. Because the the enormity of of learning how to navigate in a baby body, you know, born and navigate from there just to survive, just to figure out how it works, how do I get what I need, all that stuff, you know, it takes years to really establish that. And in that process is where we many of us forget so much of Oh, yeah, what was I doing here? <laughs> and who, who am I? <laughs> so many times in the early incarnations, it's v- extremely difficult for a soul to remember, I'm a soul. I, I'm a spiritual being. They, they get so engrossed and immersed in the experience of the body that they start to assume and believe that they're the body. Mm-hmm. I am this body. This is who I am. Mm-hmm. And, and anything you do to this physical body, you're doing it to me. And that's where a lot of things and the eye for eye and all those kinds of things start and vengeance and many things start there because the soul believes it's the body. And if somebody does something that hurts on a body level or kills them, that's unforgivable. It's, it's absolutely the worst thing. You, you killed me, not the body. But as the soul evolves and goes through a lot of growth over, over many lifetimes, the being becomes very aware, like, oh, yeah, this isn't my first rodeo. <laughs> I've been here before. And, and uh, uh, they get less and less afraid about things like dying. And they become a lot more certain about what they're really here for. We're we're really here. Number one, across the board, everyone is here to learn. Hmm. It's just that it's just like going to school. Depending on your age and your grade level, you go to different classes and different grades and different levels of learning. Here, same thing, except we don't have a structured uh, school where, oh, yeah, you're supposed to be in first grade and you're supposed to be in second grade type of a thing. We go to those classes and we go to those grades in the course of living our lives. And sometimes when somebody's not communicating and guiding us what's going on in that way, we forget, and we forget that we're here to learn. We forget we're in school. We forget, you know, we're the students here learning this stuff. And what are we learning it for? What's our major, so to speak? (laughs) And we discover, after a while, we discover, oh, our major. We are our major. We're here to learn about who we are. Who am I? And everything in this incarnation, you'll recognize, oh, yeah, there's nothing that is not experienced in relationship. Everything, all of life experience here in this world is through relationship. Mm. Relationship with ourselves, relationship with others, relationship with the world, relationship with ideas, relationship with energy, everything's a relationship. And through starting to learn to relate, respond and relate to one another and to everything in life and every experience, we start finding our freedom and we start to recognize wait a minute here i thought i was this individual person but then in relationship to other people and especially when you start to have a very profound experience of love with another human being or with a with an animal or anything and you have this where where where's the What's the difference between who I am and who this other person is? And that what starts off seeming to be like a steel difference is a steel wall starts to disappear more and more and more until you go, oh, you know what? There's not a whole lot of difference. Until you get to that place where you look at someone else and you see the same light that you are, you see it in the other person. And pretty soon, you start to look around and, whoa, everyone's the same. We're all the same inside. It just looks different on the outside. Mm. That's another part of the experience, too, of when you die or when you are fully just in spirit. Spirit is one. It's undivided. It's limitless. And what people call the light, the brightness, it is light. But light has no divisions. You can't cut up light (laughs) and make it pieces of light. And so light is light. It doesn't matter who's bright. Everyone's that same brightness. It's just how much of that brightness are we willing to share? How much of that brightness are we trying to protect and hide from everybody else? That's what we have to get over. That's part of our major lesson here However way we learn it, we have to learn that, oh, yeah, what am I doing? Hogging my light. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, selfishness means hogging your light. It's, mm-hmm. It means you're withholding the light, withholding this unconditional love that is within you and saying, "Mine. get away from me. Right. I, I'm not going to give you any of this. I'm not going to share any of this with anybody because... I'm scared. I'm just going to keep it for myself. But again, if you do that, you die. Literally, it's, it's not like physical death. You die, in a sense, the closest you can get to dying as spirit. Mm. You can't ever die as spirit. But, but if you can't express yourself, if you can't shine your light, if you can't express the love that is what you're made up of, so to speak, then you're isolated. You become an island. You become this black hole, so to speak, in space. <laughs> and there's nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. And that is psychic pain. Mm-hmm. Physical pain is one thing. Physical pain, you get over it. If, if it lasts a whole lifetime, well, at least when you die, the physical body dies, it's done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you, you're not going to experience it anymore. But psychic pain. Psychic pain you can take from lifetime to lifetime Mm. because it's kept in your memory. It's kept in your mind as, as pain, but it's not real pain like a physical trauma pain. It's, it's the pain of you not letting yourself be the real light that you are, the real being, the real spirit that you are, the limitlessness that you are. Mm. So when you do that, you become artificially, you become an island unto yourself, isolated, and that's the worst thing to experience as a soul of mm-hmm. just being completely cut off. And we we call that you know loneliness.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When we're when we experience some kind of deep isolation that we have no connection, it's it's total loneliness, and that's the thing. That brings about terror in us. Terror is, is uh, it's an emotion, of course. All emotions are of the ego, but terror is uh, it's the thing that's at the deepest level of a soul. And the soul is afraid of isolation. Not of physical death physical deaths no problem mm-hmm. <laughs> especially once you get the hang of oh yeah I've been through this before over and over and over I'm born into this body and then sooner or later the body's gone I'm back to being spirit i'm I can't die I, mm-hmm. I, that can't happen so you get to the place where you're totally you have certainty in in being this immortal being but even so there's this terror of Okay, I can handle going through different bodies, but and I'm not afraid of physical death, but how about losing my mind? Mm. Okay, so that's the second death that souls have to face in their evolutionary processes. Oh, I'm no longer afraid of physical death, losing the body. I can just get another one. <laughs> but, but, oh... Losing my mind, that is scary still, even if there's no fear about the body. So then this is why so many people are just way more terrified about losing their mind, being committed into a mental institution, all that kind of stuff, than just dying. And some people, if they start to lose their mind, what they feel like they're losing their mind, they'd rather physically die, shut it out. But they really can't, because when they reincarnate, they'll have to face that again. Because after the soul gets past the phase of being afraid of losing a body and dying physically, and that that's not a problem anymore, they have to face losing their mind. And... What people experience as losing their mind, you can't lose your mind. What people experience when they say, I'm losing my mind, is very similar to what uh, different kind of experience, but the same type of thing when they say, you blew my mind, <laughs> mm-hmm. or this blows my mind. The mind can't be blown, but the experience is my mind's blown or my I lost my mind because what we're talking about when that happens, the contents that we relied upon in our mind to maintain our sense of reality got blown. Oh, now I've, I've lost my reference point. Mm. I literally don't know which way is up. I'm going crazy. Right? So that's the experience of losing your mind. But it's, it's not the mind you lose. It's the contents. And not just any old contents because you don't mind losing junk mail. (laughs) You know, it's like, please take it. But, but when you lose certain contents that you've invested so much of your life force and awareness and creative energy in it to make it your reference and identity and you're leaning on it all the time saying, this is, this is what makes me who I am. There comes a time where you have to face that and go, is that true? Does this really make me who I am? Mm -hmm. And hopefully when you get to that point, it's because you already know you're starting to have an intuitive, very strong intuitive knowingness that "Hmm, there's a lot more to me, what I call me or myself, than being this person or that person, or having honor or respect or approval or, you know, being popular or famous or wealthy or successful or anything like that. So this is why so many souls go through an experience or, or even a whole lifetime or many, many years of enormous success or enormous wealth or enormous whatever, popularity and recognition, and all of a sudden, poof, Seemingly overnight it's all gone. well, that's because ah, oh, they graduated from that from that lesson, and they have to move on to the next 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 grade level mm-hmm. of learning. But that kind of you know extreme situation is more like going from uh being top of the class in your high school senior year. <laughs> in a rinky-dink high school and now because you were the top of the glass you got a scholarship to go to the best university but when you arrive there nobody knows you nobody cares you're nobody and not only are you nobody you're the freshman
0: yeah. <laughs> let, let me stop you there real quick you were talking about some souls don't want to communicate with people and that's yes. kinda how they get lost, I believe is how you put it. But once they pass over and go to spirit, are some of them still don't want to communicate people? Because I thought that once you once you cross over, you're gonna be, you know, with beings and everybody and all that goes away and you're connected again.
1: It depends on it depends on the way you die in terms of where you are in your consciousness, where you are in your awareness development when you die from here. So uh, a soul, like, for example, I can say without any question, when you die, you're not going to have that problem. But there are many, many souls in this world who are not where you are in their abilities and and awareness and and spiritual development. So when they die, the, the example I gave earlier of There are souls that absolutely believe they are this physical body and that's it. They have a physical body. They have an intellect that they can use to think, but that's it. And when, when this body dies, they're gone, Mm -hmm. they don't, they cease to exist. They believe that. So a soul like that walking across the street, gets run over by a back truck dies. (laughs) And we kind of joke about that saying, Oh, That's a soul that's all dressed up with nowhere to go when they die. (laughs) And because they don't have any awareness that they're anything but. And once they're going to be surprised because they're still conscious after the body's gone. So it takes them a while to realize that, oh, I died. Or at least my body died. Because they are the body. And obviously, they're still conscious. They're walking around, so to speak. They're experiencing things. They don't know they died. So those are often what what's called ghosts. Or sometimes uh, people think feel that there's a ghost or a spirit that's haunting this castle or this house or whatever. And yes, that, that happens all over the world. That's happened for millennia where a soul is dies from the physical world when they're still immersed in the physical and only the physical. And when they died, they don't know they died hmm. because they're going along. But they get very confused because they try to talk to the pe- people they know on earth, but they don't seem to communicate. They, they don't talk back and they don't, they don't respond to them. They don't seem to hear them. They don't even seem to see them. And then they start to get kind of panicky and you know com- confused and scared of what's going on. Mm. They feel they're they're going crazy, all mm. kinds of stuff. And in that condition, when they're still immersed in that kind of consciousness, their guides and angels and other beings, their friends in on the other side who would like to help them, there's not a whole lot they can do at that point. Because mm. They're immersed in these images of what reality is all about. And it's extremely limited. Example, one time I was in uh, uh, Scotland. And Scotland has all these castles that are haunted. and They're famous for haunted castles, right? So we took a tour, Raphael and I and a small group of us took a tour in one of these castles. And it was great because, sure enough, we come around into this one particular room in the castle and I look up and here's this woman who's a spirit, but she looks like a young woman in her 20s, early 20s even, dressed in a pink negligee, looking out this castle open window and and longing for her lover to come back. But when I looked at that and looked at her images that she had in her mind, it was all about this the lover of her life going off to war into this battle, and she promised him that she would be waiting there when she he returned, and he promised he would return. Well, guess what? <laughs> he didn't return. <laughs> he got killed, and so then and, and probably that happened hundreds, several hundreds of years years before when I was there, but she's still there, looking at that image, looking at that sorrow and the longing and everything and just going around around the same place all the time, every day waiting for him. So I'm, I'm looking at that. So I went over out of my body on a spirit level. while we were as a group, we were listening to uh, the tour guide who was a fabulous tour guide. She could have been like a history professor. And so I was really interested in what she had to say, but this was more interesting even. And so I went over in spirit to talk to her and at first it was just like the example I gave earlier where I'm going, hello, <laughs> and she's, she can't see anything. She's just looking at this, uh, her reality image of waiting for this guy. And she's still way back there a couple hundred years back of during this other time period and keeping her promise. And so finally I thought, okay, she's getting close. She's, she's really ready to take her steps. So, what I did was I reached into her mind and took out the few of the images that she had. She she was staring at, and as soon as I popped a couple of those images, she she's like she's looking around and and then she saw me, hmm. and for the first time she saw me and she got startled and everything. I said, "No, I'm, I'm not going to hurt you," and I said, "Are you aware that you are no longer in the physical world? You you passed away a long time ago." in terms of the world. And she said no, but she says that makes that makes sense. She was very like shocked and looking around for the first time at her surroundings and going what's what's going on here. And I said and the man you loved so deeply and promised to to wait for him, he died long time ago, too, in battle and he's not coming back. Not here anyway. He's already he's already come back to the world, to the earth, in another incarnation and living a whole different life than the one you knew him in. And she starts to put, little by little, she, she was a very bright being, she starts to put two and two together, and she goes, oh, my. And I said, you know, it's time. It's for you to get on with it. So would you like a little help in making your next steps and so that you can... Uh, prepare yourself for another incarnation so you can move on from this space and, and grow. And she says, yes, I would like that. So I I gave her a hand and she said, thank you. And she went on, her guides came and took her with them. And, and, uh, that's the last I saw of her. And then I came back to my body in, in this group while listening to this tour guide. And, uh, uh, she just the tour guide just started talking about, and this castle is really famous for some of, for its haunting. And I said, one of them can't be isn't this young lady who's in a pink negligee who's just waiting for? And I told the whole story that I I saw. And she goes, "Oh, you've read up about about this castle and the the lady in the pink." And I said, "No," and she, she goes, "Oh." Well, how, how did you, where did you hear this story? I said, uh, well, in a way from her, she goes, who I said, well, the lady in the pink negligent is stand, was standing right over there. She said, that's exactly what the legend says is she's always standing by that window waiting for her, uh, lover to come, come back from battle. And I said, yeah, well, I had a talk with her <laughs> Yeah, and, uh uh, you know, she she realized that, okay, this all happened. And uh so I said, I, I'm really sorry. I, I might have ruined your tourist business, <laughs> but she's not there anymore. <laughs> I said, but I won't tell anybody else. Uh, you know, you can keep on advertising it because it's a good story. Mm-hmm. And it was, it's I can vouch for it. It was, it's true. It's it's not just a legend, it's mm-hmm. it's right there until now. And so it was, it was hilarious. We have a lot of fun doing things like that, Mm -hmm. but that's an example of a soul that was stuck Mm -hmm. in her case. It was stuck on a love relationship that didn't keep on going on type of a thing. But all of us, we get stuck on these images in our minds and, and some of it, you know, we get stuck for a few minutes or a day or two and we get over it. Others we get stuck for lifetimes Mm. And souls that leave, they die from this physical and they're not at a high enough awareness. Uh, they go through. That's where the idea of hell and all those things come from. It's not because there's there's an actual place you, that's hell that you some bad souls go to. No, it's hell is our own making. Mm. It's in our own mind. And so uh, a soul that, experiences after death going to hell, they didn't go to hell uh, after death. They were already in it. Mm -hmm. Except just like many of us are not aware enough of the joy and the, the light and the truth and everything that is in spirit. While we're here in a body, we forget it gets, it gets obscured. Mm -hmm. We are so immersed in the body world experience and time and space, that we, the actual experience of reality, of truth, the limitlessness, gets uh, eclipsed. Mm. So whether it's the good stuff or the not-so-good stuff gets eclipsed. And and when a person is conjuring up a hellish existence here uh, of suffering and hatred and, you know, everything – Uh, pain of that level, it's their day-to-day life consumes them so much that they don't notice they're in hell Mm. until they die. And then they're going, oh my God, if they have a near-death experience and they come back, they'll report, oh, I don't know, uh, all these other people talk about going to the light, but I went to the darkness and I was in hell and all that kind of stuff. That's that's why Mm. it was already there. Mm. same with the light too it's already there
0: mm. you know michael <clears throat> i may or may have not mentioned it to you but i only usually go for an hour and we oh. just already blew past it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and, we, and we still i feel like we have so much more to talk to so i hope you can you will come back for a part two at some point when you have sure time. i'd be happy to yeah. but before we go do you have any books or is there anything that I can promote for you? Or do you have any projects that you're working on that you want people to know about?
1: Yeah, I have a book. One, <laughs> I take years to write one book. <laughs> so I only have one book published yet. But um, uh, the book that I have out already is, is called You Are the Answer, um, uh, Discovering and Fulfilling Your Soul's Purpose. And you can get it through Amazon, or you can get it through our office. And uh, we have a website, MichaelTamura.com. Tamura is T as in Tom, A M as in Mary, U R A dot com. MichaelTamura.com. And you get all kinds of information there. There's free stuff. There's uh, events calendar with all the schedule of whatever we teach and i'm teaching all the time <laughs> and so so there's plenty of stuff and there's already uh, audio versions of of classes and things that you can download from there too hmm. so yeah uh-huh. and we'll we're be we're always coming up with weekend uh, teleclass events one's coming up in uh i think the last weekend in april that might be of interest in taking mm-hmm. care of your psychic self
0: are you active on social media And if people reach out to you like on Facebook or email you, do you respond or are you more of a private person? Um, I don't think I've had a private life
1: (laughs) since I was a kid, (laughs) but, but, uh, yes, we're on Facebook, uh, our radio show Facebook page that my wife and I are on. Uh, it's called living the miracle radio. Uh, Michael and Raphael Tamura. And um, uh, I have a, uh, what would you call it? Personal uh, Facebook page that a lot of people subscribe to is, is Michael Tamura uh, uh, on Facebook. And then we're on LinkedIn and Twitter and all of that. Mostly uh, I communicate through comments on the Facebook posts, uh, but I, I can barely keep up with, with uh, email <laughs> so so uh uh you can you can uh, make comments on our facebook page and and within a few days, I usually am able to get back to many of those. I don't do uh messenger and all those kinds of things right.
0: All right, that's great. Before we wrap it up here, is there one last message of inspiration or hope that you can give us, especially mm. during these times of COVID? And what's yeah, going on in the
1: world? it's, you know, one of the things, the ways that COVID affects all of us is we have to stay home more, we have to really be by ourselves more, and we can't, we can't. Just when things get a little uncomfortable, we can't just go out and party to to distract ourselves from that discomfort. So it's a good time to be proactive and use this time to go within and look at, experience, oh, yeah, am I really this person that I've always thought I was, or am I something more that I know, intuitively know that there's a lot more to who I am? And this is a good time to go within and start to experience the light that you are instead of believing in all these negative thoughts of you know not being enough and not having enough and not doing well enough and all those kinds of things. Instead of listening to the voice of the ego that, that is always demanding and criticizing and always looking for something else Uh, that's better and bigger and brighter and everything else, look to the quiet within your mind that's the space in which you get to experience ah, the stillness of spirit. And it's through the stillness and the neutrality of spirit that you start to experience the things, experiences people call, you know, unconditional love or, or, Endless joy or uh, everlasting life, whatever type of thing like that. And the limitlessness, it's, it's undivided. Really, we're here to discover the undivided within us and the undivided within each other. And then with through communication, like Jeff was saying earlier, uh, through the communication, we start to break down the barriers that divide us artificially. We don't have to. And when we communicate enough and those divisions fall apart, we start to recognize, oh, yeah, we're just the same. Every one of us, we're just the same inside.
0: Thank you for that, Michael. And thank you for being my guest. I really appreciate you. Thank you.
1: I appreciate you too. I'm really glad to be your guest on the show. and, And,
0: yeah, we'll do it again. Awesome. All right. Well, have a great evening. Thank you.